a groundbreaking and controversial new study shows that depression is not caused by low serotonin levels. It's actually caused by having a bunch of bad stuff happen to you at the same time. And yet psychiatrists disagree. Very, very interesting story. Now we travel to Australia to take a look at a terrifying cryptid waiting for us in the woods. And if you think you can run and hide from this beast, first ask yourself, is your life worth the safety of your family and friends? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Gardner. I'm having a good day. I hope you guys are having a good day. I hope you guys are having awesome fun doing whatever you're doing. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so we're going to get started right away. First off, walking into Dead Rabbit Command is one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Everyone, get on your feet and give a salute to Sniper. Woohoo! Yeah, come on in, Sniper. Hope you have that rifle ready. We're going to do some cryptid hunting. In the next story, and maybe maybe you have depression from doing all that sniping. We'll talk about that in the first story. Sniper, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. I really do. Just help spread the word about the show. That helps out so much. Please do that for Dead Rabbit Radio. Sniper, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dune Buggy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're going to burn rubber and head on out. To a psychiatrist's office. I don't really know if the Dead Rabbit Doom Buggy Street Legal, but we're taking it there anyways. It's going to be a fun little ride hanging out as the temperature is not so hot. Just hanging out in this Doom Buggy driving around, driving on the way to the psychiatrist's office. We're like interrupting all their appointments, just revving up the engine right outside their window. This was an interesting story. This story I came across during my vacation, and it might have actually been right before I went on vacation. And I was like, wow, this is huge. This is a really big story. And I kind of wanted to wait to see what the pushback would be on it because I knew there would be pushback. And the pushback, it's interesting because on the one hand, people are seriously pushing back against this study we're going to talk about. But on the other hand, everyone's doing it very quietly. Because even the pushback, even by pushing back against this thing, you have that thing on the internet called the Streisand Effect. The more you fight against something, the more popular or the more well-known the thing you're fighting against becomes. And this is an explosive study that is ready to rock the world of psychiatry. Depression, right? Let's talk about depression real quick. I've obviously gone through bouts of depression. And I, like, a long, long time ago, I remember they, I was in depression when I first moved up here. And I was prescribed what was described as a low dose of Prozac. It was basically just like a low dose. And they said, listen, I've talked about this before on the show. They go, you're going to start taking this stuff. You're going to have some weird dreams, dude. And they did not prepare me for how weird my dreams were. Like, I remember vividly. I don't even like bringing this up because I'm afraid that it's true. I remember vividly dreaming that my mom and my stepdad murdered my sister murdered my sister and they had buried her and I didn't have anything to do with the murder but I knew about it and I remember she was buried underneath a swimming pool like at a a YMCA it was like a gymnasium swimming pool she was buried underneath it and you know my sister's not dead 
and or she definitely wasn't murdered. And, and I remember waking up and I was like terrified that I had unlocked some lost memory. And I didn't even want to tell anyone because what if it was true? Like, what if I had forgotten that my sister had gone missing? And, you know, so. now I have a very strong sense of self. I spend a lot of time alone before I did the podcast when I had a job where I had three days off in a row. It was awesome. Before I started doing the podcast, for those three days, I wouldn't utter a single word. I lived alone, wasn't out and about. And basically, from the time I got home on what would be my Friday to the time I showed up to work on my Monday, I had three days where I wouldn't say a word. So I was constantly in my thoughts. I didn't even notice I was going through that until, you know, until I realized it. Like, I had done that for months and months. And I was like, wow, I go three days without saying anything. I've always been a fairly introspective person. I recharge by being alone. I'm constantly surrounded by people. I can, can't can relax. I have to have moments, long, long moments where I'm by myself. So, so I have a very strong sense of self. I know how my brain works. I know how my thought patterns work. So when I started taking medication that was, in effect, changing things in my brain, I could tell. Going back, like I was taking the Prozac and I could... I, I remember when I was taking it, when it, it, it tapers off eventually, this feeling... But I thought, I understand why a lot of SSRI drugs, why a lot of uh, antidepressants have black box warnings saying this can cause you to kill yourself or to hurt other people and stuff like that. Because if you didn't have a strong sense of self, if all of a sudden you started taking a medication and you begin having intrusive thoughts and you had never had intrusive thoughts before, or you start having these dreams that make you question reality, I, I, understand, I go, I get why teenagers shouldn't be taking this stuff, right? It's very controversial for teenagers to be taking this stuff. And I'd argue anyone without a strong sense of self. And I remember I stopped taking it because I started working out more. I was exercising all the time. And I was like, you know, I feel great. I don't need this medication anymore. So I just stopped. This is not a medical advice podcast. I remember I ran into my doctor at Safeway and I was like, hey, what's up, man? We were talking a bit and I said, hey, I stopped taking that Prozac. And he was kind of like, "Huh? oh, okay. And I said, well, I've been working out a lot. I've been working out a lot and I just feel good. And I remember this very important to me. He goes, that's fine. He goes, you don't have to take it. He goes, it's such a low dose anyways. He goes, but you have to treat your workouts like medicine. You got to do them every day. Some form of exercise every single day. You have to treat it like it's treatment. That's a very good piece of advice. But then, you know, obviously stuff happens. And I remember I was kind of going, I wasn't really super, ever so often, just not like a normal person, you have good moments and bad moments. And sometimes you're a little more depressed than others. I remember at this point, I was talking, I had the same doctor couple of years had passed and I was talking about, you know, feeling anxious, feeling down and stuff like that. And I was there to get treated for something else. And he goes, well, for the depression, we can put you on the, uh, put you back on the low dose of Prozac. And I said, um, pills aren't going to pay my bills. And he kind of chuckled. He kind of chuckled and he goes, yeah, that's true. Because here's the thing. This is the way that I don't know if it's because I'm a boomer. This is the way that I was always... This is how I viewed depression. There's two types, obviously. There are people with chemical imbalances in their brains, right? But for most people, depression is a series of events that are happening in a fairly rapid order or maybe just one or two really heavy events that makes you depressed. There are people out there who have bipolar disorder. That is a 
brain chemical thing, right? And then there are people who just like, wow, I can't believe the string of bad luck I've had. And it makes you depressed. You go, what's the point of even going on it? You you may not even be that depressed when you're thinking about ending it, but you're just like, am I ever going to get out of this hole? Are things ever going to change? Now, what I figured was that people just knew that. People just understood that there were different types of depression. But recently I read this article, and this has been super controversial. There was an article written in The Guardian by Andrew Gregory. And this was published back on July 20th, 2022. So I was on vacation when this popped out. What it is is that the way that depression, whether or not it is, like, I, I, we're going to remove the bipolar thing, clinical depression, out of this. We're going to talk about the depression where people go to the doctor and say, hey, man, things aren't working out for me. I'm really depressed. You got something for that. The doctors go, we do. It's called an SSRI drug. They're used by boosting serotonin levels. So if you have low serotonin, you're more likely to be depressed. So if we can boost the serotonin, at least you won't be depressed. You still have to go through the motions in life, but this won't make you depressed. And what happened was this serotonin theory came out in like the 1960s. And by the 1980s, the pharmaceutical companies go, well, if depression is caused by low serotonin, we'll just make a drug that ups the levels of serotonin. And that has been the treatment for day-to-day depression for decades, right? For just standard depression. People go to the doctor and say, I'm depressed. We all know these pills exist. We all know the doctors will prescribe them. So we'll go here. Recently, the University of College in London did a huge study led by Joanna Moncrief. She's a professor of psychiatry there. This is basically what the study says. There is, quote, no convincing evidence that depression is caused by serotonin abnormalities particularly by lower levels or reduced activity of serotonin, unquote. This says that whole, there is nothing to back up that theory at all. That theory at this point is, what, 60 years old, and there is no proof for it. And what they did was they went over all of these existing case studies, and they said depression is not likely caused by reduction of serotonin. Some of these studies, they would artificially reduce people's serotonin levels. And they did not suffer from depression. So if the low serotonin level made you depressed, how come we can't replicate that? They said in some of these studies we looked at, the use of SSRI drugs lowered the serotonin level anyways. It didn't actually do what it was supposed to do in that particular person. And what I thought was, this was when I read this, I I remember reading this in the morning, wake up every morning and read the news. I remember I chuckled to myself and I go, "Of duh. This was one of the quotes from this article in The Guardian. It said, quote, Other studies that they were researching, other studies looked at the effects of stressful life events and found that the more stressful life events a person had experienced, the more likely they were to be depressed, showing the importance of external events. And I was like, is that not common knowledge? And apparently. If you let's say you've had a bad run of things, right? You go to the doctor, you say, "Hey man, things aren't working out for me. I'm really depressed." They can prescribe you SSRI drugs to boost your serotonin level, but that's not necessarily what causes the depression is the low serotonin level. 
And what's interesting is in the article in The Guardian and Joanna Moncrief, all, they've all said, listen, this is not saying stop taking your meds. This is 100% saying throw them all in the garbage. Because there's bad, the problem is, is like there are bad side effects to just quit taking these. The question that people are saying who are in support of this survey is, there has been, a, this is interesting, they go, there has been a debate behind the scenes whether or not serotonin levels cause depression. But that debate is not known to the general public. To the point that if you ask the random person on the street what causes depression, they generally will say serotonin levels. It is a common misconception that that is settled science. Low serotonin levels equal depression, so high serotonin levels equals no depression, so give me something to boost my serotonin. That is not settled science. And that debate has been going on behind the scenes, but it hasn't reached the general public, and now it has, almost in this whisper war. And the other side of the psychiatry debate, they go, listen, we don't know how this stuff works. That, that was a common thing. They go, you're right, we don't know how SSRI drugs make you not depressed, but they do. Same way that they don't know how science, apparently, I just found this out, they don't know how Tylenol reduces a headache. They haven't figured that out, but it does. That was a comparison that was constant, constantly being used. We don't know why Tylenol makes the pain go away in your head, but it does. They said that we don't know why SSRI drugs work, but they do. And then, I mean, at that point, you have to open up the whole placebo thing, right? If a doctor, if a medical professional gives you something and says this is going to make you less depressed... Is how much of that is the placebo factor? They've even gone after the other side of the psychiatry argument who are saying, no, you have to keep taking these. Let us debate behind the scenes, but keep taking these. They've criticized Moncrief for being a quote unquote radical against the pharmaceutical industry, saying, listen, she has a bone to pick with these people. Absolutely, for lack of a better word, insane, right? It really is. It really is because these drugs are prescribed so readily. Now, I was lucky I had, you know, I've always had really good luck with doctors, right? My doctor could have been like, no, you got to get back on those, buddy. It'll help you out and da-da-da-da-da. I've always had really good rapport with my doctors, and they kind of know my journey and where I want to end up, where I want to go. So he's like, yeah, dude, you don't need that stuff anyways. Just work out all the time. But, I mean, these drugs, I mean, listen, I'm not telling you to stop taking them at all. At all, I'm not telling you to stop taking them. I just, and, and there are people who need them, right? People who do feel better on them. But I think for the general public, I think the debate, the problem is, is the debate is not, I didn't know that at all. I mean, obviously, I chuckled because I always figured there was a good chunk of people who it was external life stressors that made them depressed. Apparently, other people have to get a study on this, right? They have to have a study done to show that depression is caused by external life events. That seems like such a no-brainer, really. But they're just reading the studies and they're being told stuff and they're like, here you go. And they take this and it really does those first like couple days, maybe a week. It really messes with your head. I can understand why it's super dangerous. I had a strong sense of self, so I could realize those thoughts weren't not thoughts. Even it was just like the dreams. The dreams were so bizarre. But when I woke up, I was terrified. I honestly thought I had unearthed the memory of my parents killing my sister. And I was like, in that moment, like when I woke up, that was one of the times I can remember feeling the loneliest I ever did. And I like being alone. That was like soul lost in the darkness loneliness. Like I felt like my parents had murdered my sister and I was the only person on earth who knew that. And 
I didn't know what to do next. And I was going to have this guilt, this just guilt over my shoulders for the rest of my life. I mean, it was super weird. Like, I've... It's one of the loneliest times I ever felt in my life, and it was all in my head. It was all made up. And if you didn't have... So, yeah. Take them if you need to. But I think that it, we should... people, We should know this stuff. We should know that it doesn't work. If a doctor goes, we don't know how it works, but it works. That's better than just saying, yeah, it works. Crazy, crazy science and conspiracy theory story. I, I'm surprised this isn't bigger in the cons- world of conspiracy theory as well. Because I know they get tied into school shootings and stuff like that. A lot of these school shooters, these young men, they get prescribed these type of drugs. Um, I'm surprised. But again, like I said, it's kind of hard to find the articles on it. And um, if you don't know what you're looking for. And yeah, there the debate is raging, however. Um, and the two sides are, they don't work or we don't know how they work. Those are the two sides, right? But either way, um, you know, don't make any rash decisions. I'm not staying to quit them or anything like that. Don't take medical advice from a man in a haunted closet. Sniper, let's go ahead and leave behind the psychiatrist's office. I'm going to toss you the keys to the world-famous Carpenter Copter. We're headed all the way out to Australia. I want to give a shout-out. I found most of this information on a website called abookofcreatures.com. Really, really cool resource about cryptids, famous ones and obscure ones. It kind of sucks that there's a note, like the most recent update saying we're on an indefinite hiatus, and that has been since July 2021. So that sucks. Whenever we lose a compatriot, whenever we lose a soldier in the war of the weird, someone out there cataloging this stuff, writing articles, doing podcasts... It sucks, but you see it a lot, actually. I think there is kind of a high burnout rate. We have this resource for now. If you're into that, I recommend checking it out, because who knows how long it's going to be up, right? Abookofcreatures.com gave me a bunch of this information. We're headed to Australia. In Australia, there is a cryptid, a creature, a monster that is almost unparalleled to anything we've covered before on this podcast. Because the question is, how... How much do you value your own life? Very rarely do cryptids make you think of these questions. In Australia, in the forested regions along the coast, sits up high in a tree the Yara Ma Yahoo. The Yara Ma Yahoo. Let's take a look at this guy. Up in the trees in Australia, preferably in the fig trees is where this little dude likes to hang out, is the Yara Mayahu. He's he's actually quite huge. I don't even know how he gets up there. I guess when you're a cryptid, you're just allowed to do things. He's about four feet tall. He's a, he's a quadruped, right? He's a creature that runs on its hands and its legs. He's about four feet tall and has this huge toothless mouth. Almost imagine like a giant red furry frog. He's all bristly and stuff like that. And he does, like a frog, he does have suction cups on his fingers and his feet. And he loves to hang out in trees waiting for his prey. Because the thing with this thing is, although it's a carnivore, it can't run. It can't run fast at all. If you see one and you're able to get away from it, it will just kind of waddle after you. So that's why its main form of hunting is just sitting there. Sitting there waiting for someone to walk by. It'll sit up in the tree for a couple of days waiting for someone to wander through its forest. And what happens is, imagine this. You're walking through a forest. 
you're having a good time. And then all of a sudden, a four-foot-tall creature fell on top of you. That alone is going to throw you off your game. <laughs> You're just not going to expect it. If you, if someone threw a blanket on you in the forest, that would be scary enough. But imagine, this creature seems fairly heavy. I'm imagining he's like 100 pounds, under 200 pounds. That falling on you out of the middle of nowhere would freak you out. That's not all he does. What happens is those suction cups on his hands and his feet, they're not just for climbing. They're for sucking blood. So what he does is he puts his hands on you. I'm assuming he takes your shirt off first. He's like, ooh, nice abs. You've been working out. Uh, starts sucking the blood out through his fingers and his toes. You're like, ah. Uh. And as you're laying there in the dirt, and this creature you didn't even know existed feeding off of your vital fluids, you're probably thinking, oh, man, this can't get worse. This is what they're talking about, external factors relating to depression. This creature's drinking me. But he doesn't, he's not a full-on vampire, right? He doesn't drink enough of you to kill you. He just drinks enough blood from you to make you pass out. After you've passed out, something insidious happens. This little dude opens his mouth and starts to swallow you whole. You're like, Jason, Jason this is another one of your creepy voices. Your creepy vor stories. He starts <laughs> after I described you as taking your shirt off. I was like, oh, and then you get oiled up. You get oil. Your skin's all oily in the sun. The Yara Mayahu begins to swallow you whole. It doesn't have any teeth, so it's pretty easy. Plus, it can dislodge its jaw and its stomach distends, so it can swallow a full-grown man. And as he's like swallowing you. He, you kind of get stuck, right? And so what he... This, this is adorable. This is like the cutest thing Cryptid's ever done. What happens is the Yara Mayahu then has to do a little dance to, like, make you wiggle into your old boogie and down in his stomach. You're like, do-do-do. Because you're... I mean, as a... Let's say you're 5'11", like I am. He's only four feet long, so he kind of has to, like, roll you up in a ball and, like, by him doing that dance and shaking his little groove thing, you're, like, sliding more into his stomach. But because his stomach distends, eventually... He's still only four feet... Well, I guess he wouldn't be four feet tall. He'd be four feet tall with a rolled-up man in his stomach. So now you're being digested in his stomach. You're back to consciousness, and you find yourself kind of pushing against... Oh, let me out of here. Let me out of here. You're getting... Sli <laughs> you're slightly aroused. And you're like, get me out of here. You're not fighting that hard. You're like, oh, please, let me go. After he swallowed you completely, he takes a drink of water and takes a nap. So you're like chilling out in his belly and stuff like that, and he's sleeping. But eventually he wakes up, and then he vomits you out. And you just slide out of his stomach through his lush lips. I don't really have a vor fetish. It's just so funny because I get so many emails when I cover stories like this. You slide out. You're like waving goodbye. You're like, bye, Yara, my Yahoo. You're sliding out. You're covered in puke and you're laying there on the ground in the middle of this Australian forest. And this is what makes this creature so fascinating. This is what makes this story so interesting is because now you have to ask yourself a question. This creature is feared in these areas of Australia. So the legend is well known of what happens when you run into one of these Yara Mayahus. You've just been, you had some of your blood sucked out, 
you've been swallowed, digested a little bit, and then vomited back out. And you're fully conscious at this point. You have a choice. You can get up and just run away. The Yaramayahu cannot chase you. It is so slow. It doesn't have any sort of teleportation powers. It doesn't move quicker through the trees or anything like that. It's like a trapdoor spider. It waits for the prey to come to you. You can take off running. But if you get up and start running away, the Yaramayahu will start yelling at you. As you're running away, it will yell out, Where have you gone, my victim? You just keep running. You run, run, run. And if you turn around, you'll see him waddling after you. Now, if you, you can easily outrun this guy, right? If you run away, you don't get what's coming next. Because that's not, that's not all he does. Trust me, it gets worse. After he throws you up, you have the ability to run away, get up and run away. If you run away, what the Yaramayahu does, he becomes enraged that his food got away. So he then goes all over the region and drinks up every drop of water. Every lake, every pond, every well built in your local community will run dry. So you've basically doomed everybody near you. You've destroyed them. You've destroyed the local community. If you get away from it, it will punish everybody. So knowing that, knowing that you're laying on the ground in the middle of this forest, this creature has just sucked out some of your blood and swallowed you and then did a little dance and took a nap. And now it's vomited you up. Knowing that, would you run? Because you could be like, yeah, dude, I'm just a tourist. I'm just going to hop on a plane and go back to where I'm from. But it would. It would drink up all the water in the area. So, what you do, if you are a team player, you just take one for the team. And the Yaramayahu, as you're laying there, right, you're basically pretending to be unconscious. You're fully awake at this point. The Yaramayahu will check to see if you're unconscious or even dead at this point, right? He's already digested a little bit of you. So, he will walk up and he'll poke you with a stick. And then he waddles away. And then he comes back and he tickles you. You can't, you, <laughs> you're smiling, your half-digested lips are all, <laughs> you're smiling. He tickles you and you don't react to that. So then he walks even farther away. He walks away about 50 yards. He comes back, he tickles you more. And then once he realizes that, yes, you are still unconscious and or dead, he takes another nap. Now you figure, well, Jason, that would kind of, you're basically asking someone to run away. You're like, coochie, coochie, coo. You're already, you're already digested. I mean, it's not tickling as much as it would hurt. If Why would he do that? Why he's basically asking them to run away? Apparently, this is so bonkers. Like, in America, we have Bigfoot. This is what Australia's thing is. There's a whole ecosystem. If the Yaramayahu does not do this, if the Yaramayahu does not do this ritual, there is a spirit living in the fig trees in Australia that drives the Yaramayahu insane. It starts whispering in his ears, and that whisper becomes louder and louder and louder and louder, and then silence. Impossible silence. Like, all of reality has gone mute. And at that point, the Yaramayahu's soul leaves its body 
and the body just kind of falls there and turns into a patch of glowing mushrooms. So, so if you're ever in Australia, bring me home some glowing mushrooms because that's pretty dope, right? That's pretty dope. I'd have a little bit of a Yaramayahu in my house. I don't even know if the glowing mushrooms are real. Cut. That is the that is now the life cycle. That is the food chain of the cryptids. Absolutely bizarre. But anyways, the Yarmayahu, he tickles you, pokes you with a stick, you don't react, it thinks you're unconscious. Now the most terrifying thing of all happens. You had your choice to run away and to save yourself, but knowing that you would doom your community. So you stayed there. And then it starts to swallow you again. Swallowing you. You're like, head first this time. Woohoo! I can enjoy it even longer. And I'm fully conscious. He starts to swallowing you and he's doing his little dance to kind of shuffle you into his distended belly. And you're kind of just sitting in there for a bit. And then he goes, and he vomits you up again. And now you're laying on the ground in this forest and you're like, oh, what? That's weird. And you notice that your shoes are loose. You're like, what? I thought I was a size 11, but um, my shoes came off. It could also be all that pile. It could also be all the digestion from this creature that shouldn't exist. And my shirt seems a little bigger than normal. And then the Yaramayahu, before you can really kind of figure out what's going on, he swallows you again. And he starts doing his little dance. And you're in his belly and you're like, ah, floating around. And then he vomits you up a third time. And this time when you come out, you've clearly gotten shorter. Like 100%. First time you just thought maybe you need to buy new shoes. But now your pants are falling off. And your shoes don't fit anymore. And all your body hair is gone. You're completely bald with no body hair. And you're covered in bile. And you're like, and I'm shorter than I used to be. What is going on? And then right when you're kind of figuring that out, he swallows you up again. And the next time he vomits you up, your skin is red. Which probably happened the first time you got digested. And what happens is this Yaramayahu constantly swallows you up and vomits you out. And each time you get smaller and smaller and smaller and you turn more and more red, and then your hair falls off, and then you're replaced with this bristly boar-like hair, you've now become a Yaramayahu. He will totally transmorgify you into this creature living in the forest, looking for its next meal. The long-time listeners of the show know, I hate being turned into stuff. Absolutely terrifying. Beauty and the Beast, I was like, wait, they're partying? That dude's a candlestick. Like, that would suck. I don't like people turning into other stuff. It scares me. So this cryptid straight up eats you and vomits you up until you become one of him. Until you become a Yaramayahu. I wonder if he teaches you the rules, too. <laughs> you're not tickling people. You're like, ah, oh, tickling's lame. You're not tickling people. And then you're like, wait, no, why am I a mushroom? And... Yarmayahu's like, oh, I forgot to tell him about that. I forgot to tell him about that ritual he's supposed to do before he became a mushroom. Uh, my bad. Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> That'd be even worse. Now I'm a mushroom. Now I can't even move around. Yarmayahu, it's a cre. It's such an interesting story. Like just as like an Aboriginal legend, it's very interesting. But as far as like a cryptid, this life cycle it has, and I can't think of another cryptid 
that has such a moral story built into it. Most cryptids, most urban legends are based on, we don't want kids to go play in the forest, so there's a creature in the forest that'll kill you. We don't want kids or drunk dudes to be hanging out by the river. There, There's a siren in the river who will sing songs and you'll go in the river. Most of these stories are created to keep dumb people from doing stuff, to make dumb people scared people. To keep them from doing stuff. This story, they said... Because this creature is known to attack full-grown adults and children. It prefers to attack adults because it wants to fight. Because it just likes more meat, I guess. It said that uh, you know it was used to scare children from going into the forest. But I think there's a bigger message here, right? It is about... I've never seen this before. You have a choice. You can easily get away from this thing. But you will doom everyone else around you. That very first time when you get devoured and then thrown back up, you can outrun it. You have enough strength, you have enough blood, you have enough fear, adrenaline to get out of its way. But it could mean the death of your entire community. All that water disappearing, right? Your crops are going to go bad, animals are going to die. Your town may survive or it may have to move on. They can't stay there. So you have to make a choice. And it's not like you committed any moral fault. You were just walking through the forest. It's not like you were being punished for any sort of sin. You were chosen at random. You just happened to be walking underneath the tree that it's in. And all of a sudden, you're thrust into this world where you make a decision. Your life for your communities. You have to choose. So what would you do? What would you do in that situation? I think most of us think that we're noble enough. <laughs> You're like, Jason, you would, Jason, you would sicko. You would do anything to get eaten alive being an out of belly. I'm not, a, I'm not into vor, but I think most people would be noble enough to hang out in this monster's belly, right? To let itself get turned into a Yaramayahu, even though that's like the worst fate for me, turning into something else. If it was me turning into a monster or my entire town losing every ounce of drinking water, it's like going in to Safeway's drinking the, all the bottled water. Glug, 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 glug. Like, you would have to make that choice. You would have to choose to just become a food source. And what's even more terrifying, I think this speaks to the heart of any hero or would-be hero, or, or even not hero, but someone who thinks they're willing to do the self-sacrifice thing, if fear gets the best of you and you get up and leave and it drinks up all the water, what they have done in the past is as a water alternative is you can go into the forest and you can tap the fig trees and get the sap or the fluid out of that and then use that to drink, you know, in desperate situations. And what happens is the Yaramayahu is waiting up in those fig trees, knowing that it's only a matter of time before people in the community come out to try to get the sap out of these fig trees as some sort of sustenance. And then the Yaramayahu attacks them. So you're basically dooming somebody else to the fate you ran away from. That's the lesson here. You are being selfish by wanting to live. It's such a fascinating story. It's such a fascinating cryptid. Imagine having to make that decision as you've just been partially digested. You know, you were on your you were on your way to a birthday party. You were taking a shortcut through the forest. You got plans today. You got stuff to do, and now you're having to make a decision. Do I let this creature slowly dissolve me until I become 
a monster living in the trees, or do I make a break for it? Knowing full well that a lot of people are going to be injured if you get up and outrun this little squat creature chasing after you. Terrifying Cryptid with a terrifying life cycle and the fact that it makes you decide your life over the lives of others. And you could go, that is just a lesson you're teaching kids, right? Like, sometimes it's better to take one for the team. Sometimes it's better to lay down your life to help others. But the problem is, is that even this moral story has a creepy twist ending. Because you may make that decision to let the community live on, but then you simply become another one of these creatures. You simply become a Yaramayahu. Now you will force another person to make that decision. You personally will wait up in that tree and watch people walk underneath you until you want to find the most delectable person. So in the end, you become part of the problem. What's the moral story in that? Maybe there isn't one. Maybe this is just a story about a creature who likes eating humans and puking them up until they become little creatures themselves. That might be an allegory for something. Or maybe it's just another creepy cryptid in a world full of the weird. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.